If you have your Bible this morning, and I hope you do, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. We're going to be looking at a couple of verses in Genesis, looking at a few other places in Scripture as well. Now, asking a question, continuing our series, Did God Really Say? And boy, did I pick a nice hot topic for our culture on this Sunday, February 7th. We're going to ask the question, did God really say there are two genders? If you're taking notes, you might even specify that we're asking, did God really say there are only two genders? It's a very important question to ask because our culture uh, answers very differently from what traditional historic Christianity has answered. And we need to ask ourselves, are we reading what God's Word says and knowing what it says, or are we following along with cultural norms? And so we're going to be asking our question this morning, did God say there are two genders? One thing I like to do when we start a sermon in this series is talk about what people say God says. And so I like to do a little research and find out what other churches, particularly we've talked about progressive churches who, who are pushing agendas a different direction from what traditional biblical Christianity would push. But what are they saying about gender and gender fluidity? So there are a couple of things I found that may be of interest to you because you may hear them at some point or another, and, and you may have people ask you this question. And one of the articles I read asked this question, does the Bible actually say that God created only two genders, male and female? And the surprising answer, according to the article, we're going to look at God's word in a second, so we're looking at the article. The surprising answer from them was, no, the Bible never says that. And it actually starts quoting different passages of Scripture and interpreting them in a way that would have us believe that the Bible is silent on this issue. But one of the passages they turn to is in Deuteronomy. In the book of Deuteronomy, there's a, a lot of these laws and rules and regulations that the Israelites are to follow. And one of them specifically says uh, that a man should not dress like a woman or a woman dress like a man, that it's detestable before God. And, and they even quoted this passage, what you and I would read very boldly and say that that speaks against transgender identity. So that's not what this verse means. This is talking about cross-dressing. But if your identity is a different gender, then you're dressing to your true identity. So you can't use that passage of Scripture. It went to our passage this morning, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, where it talks about God making man male and female. And it says that word and is not meant to be dividing man and woman, but it's meant to present the spectrum. Just like God created the heavens and the earth and everything in between. And so they take this verse to mean that God created male and female and everything in between. As you read and as you start to, to see what a progressive reading of Scripture may take you, you can, you can already start to understand the gymnastics it takes just to get to that point. But I, I honestly, I want to take an honest look at Scripture, and I want to ask the question, does God really say that? Are we putting words in God's mouth? Or as we read scripture, is God revealing himself to us in a way that he has created male and female? Let's start with that important verse in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Let's read that together and just take an honest reading of what it says, and then start to look at how God has created humanity. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26, says this. 
Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Now, without trying to do a twist and a, uh, some gymnastics around this verse, if we just take a plain reading of Genesis chapter 1, it seems to be very clear that God created humanity with some specific characteristics. And one of those characteristics is that he created them male and female. One of the things we talked about very early on is how important it is to read the Word of God for what it says and not what we want it to say. And as we read this passage, it seems very clear that God indeed did say that he created male and female. If you're doing a count, how God has revealed humanity in Scripture is with two genders, male and female. But is it just this one verse that we cling to? Is it just this idea that, that this phrase male and female causes us to say male and female and we're not going to look elsewhere in Scripture and see what else the Bible has to say? Or is God repeatedly using this theme all throughout the Bible? I would argue that it's more than just a verse of God's creation, but that God himself wants us to understand the purpose behind his creation of humanity. And the purpose is that he created husbands and wives, mothers and fathers, men and women, with specific genders and specific roles and purposes in reflecting his glory and his image. So let's look at what the Bible tells us. First, just based on these verses, it's important to understand that gender is a part of God's design. Gender is a part of God's design. In the creation account, it specifically tells us that God created humanity gendered, male and female. Not just humanity, but he has actually created all animals, male and female. We see this in Genesis chapter 2, where God's design is revealed when Adam is naming the animals. And he, he brings up a, a pair of animals and he sees this is a dog and we'll call it dog or whatever the Hebrew word would be for dog. He sees cats and he sees cattle and he sees sheep and he sees chickens and he sees rabbits and he sees all the animals around. And what it says is he notices something that each one has a helper or a helpmate. Each one is created male and female. It's an observation that that we find very early on that God has designed his creation, male and female. I don't think it's a stretch, I think you'll agree with me on this, that God created you with a physical body. If you don't believe me, go ahead and take your arm and give yourself a nice strong pinch and see if you feel pain. See if you can tangibly experience, you're, you're pinching other people now, I see what you're doing there, boy that was a mistake, forgot I was teaching adults I thought I was teaching kids who would follow instructions well God created us with a physical body, we have skin, flesh, bones blood, and your body is not inconsequential your body is not something in which the real you lives. It's not as if God took the essence of you and put it in a shell. No, your body is a part of the real you. How do I know this? All throughout Scripture, we see human beings with physical, tangible, flesh and bones body. It's not just all throughout Scripture, but the prophecies of eternal life. Guess how you are going to spend eternity? 
with a physical, tangible, flesh and blood body. That's part of God's design for you. Your physical characteristics are how God has created you. So when you look at yourself in the mirror, and you start to look at your face and nitpick, I wish my nose was this, or my eyes were that, or my hair was more, or whatever it is you look at, you realize God has created you with the physical body you have. Now, we age, and sin has taken some toll on that body, but your physical body is not just a home for the real you. Your physical body is the real you. God designed you that way so that you would have flesh and blood and physical attributes. And that includes physical anatomy. Your physical anatomy is part of the real you. Not only did God design us with physical bodies, we have to remember this, that we are the designed, not the designer. We are the creation, not the creator. We don't need to, to make a society or make a culture where we start making the rules. God is the one who created us, and he sets the rules. You know what I found? When we try to make the rules on our own, we typically fail miserably. It's never worked out well all throughout the Bible, and I can testify in my own life. When we start trying to become the creator and set the rules for our own, it always leads us away from God. We are the designed, not the designer. Gender is a part of God's design on us. And that's the last thought in this, this idea that gender is part of God's design, is that God did indeed create us gendered. God created us gendered. He made two genders, male and female. This was not an accident or an afterthought. This was not something that happened as a result of the fall or sin. This is happening before sin enters the world. God looks at humanity and makes them male and female. Gender is not just about your physical anatomy, uh, but of course your physical anatomy reveals your gender. Your gender is a part of who God designs you to be. And so we understand as the creator, God has created us specifically with a gender. Now, society has, has taught us or evolved us in a way that thinks differently about gender and biological sex. They'll say, God has designed you with a biological sex, but your gender is fluid and can change. I wonder where in Scripture they can find that. I'm having a real hard time as reading a plain part of Scripture where God separates our biology from our gender. The truth is, if we take a plain reading of Scripture, you always see them tied together because God designed them with a purpose. Gender is part of God's design. And even more importantly, to build off of this idea, we read in these verses that gender is part of God's image on you. Gender is part of God's image on you. Look at verse 27 again. There's two characteristics that, that are revealed to us in verse 27. God created man in his own image. The first characteristic that we learn in verse 27, you are made in the image of God, and it's repeated. In the image of God, he created him. And the second characteristic is this, male and female, he created them. I'm going to make an argument for those of you English people, those of you who like to read poetry or, or understand literature probably far better than I am, 
If you have three points made and the first two are the same, the third one almost always is intentionally related or equal to those first two. God is repeating the same thing to get it through our minds. You are created in God's image. In the image of God, he created you. Male and female, he created you. What he's saying is your gender, male and female, is a part of the stamp of the image of God in your life. Did you know that God desired to create some of you as women to reflect a part of his image that I cannot reflect? God created some of you men to reflect his image that women cannot reflect. God gave us gender and roles because there's no one part of creation that could ever adequately display his full image. Think about how scripture teaches us God reveals himself. In Isaiah chapter 45, verse 15, listen to how God reveals himself to us. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. How does God reveal himself to us in Isaiah 45, 15? As a nursing mother, with, with the compassion that a nursing mother has with her child. I want to go ahead and tell you guys right now, I can show you compassion. And I can do my best to reflect God's compassion as an image bearer of God. But one thing I know I cannot do is reflect God's image through me nursing my children. I can't happen. I can't do it. It doesn't matter what I identify with or what my anatomy might want to be. God has not created me in his image to do that. God has revealed his glory and compassion in one aspect of that through a mother and her role in motherhood. Isn't it amazing, women, that God created you as a woman to reflect a specific characteristic that only you as a woman can reflect? Another way God reflects his image is also in Isaiah verse, or chapter 66, verse 13. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Now, this is not a, a sermon or a lesson on, on how God reveals himself, male or female. We're not going to get into all of those details, but were some of you sitting in here this morning thinking, well, God reveals himself with womanly characteristics. Most of the time we don't, right? But God in his ultimate wisdom has said, want to know what kind of comfort I can give? Think about the way a mother comforts their children. Now, can a father give comfort to a child? Absolutely. But my wife and I give comfort to our children very, very differently. When my son falls down, I comfort him by saying, dust it off, you're going to be okay, suck it up and keep going. That's the comfort I give my son. I love you, now quit being a baby, right? That's, the, that's how dads typically function. My wife goes down and says, honey, what's the matter? Did you skin your knee? Can I help you out? And, and she nurses him to health and there's a different level of comfort that we give. Now, this is not true all the time. There are some men who are a little more comforting, some women who are a little less comforting, but, but by and large, God has created mothers and fathers in a way to reveal God's image in each of us. Isn't it amazing that God created you as a woman specifically to reveal a part of his image that only you can reveal? How about this? It goes both ways. You realize that all throughout Scripture, the Bible predominantly uses male pronouns to describe God. There are roles that God fulfills that he primarily identifies and reveals himself in the masculine pronoun. That's why we refer to God as he. That's why we talk about him. 
That's why Jesus Christ was born physically a male, because God has revealed himself to us in the roles that he takes in the masculine form. One of the greatest ways we see that is how Jesus himself tells us to refer to God. He tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, to pray to him as Father. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Men, do you realize your role as a husband and a father is designed as a way that you reflect God's image in that role, in a way that your wives and mothers cannot? God has created you specifically in a way to lead your family and reflect God's image to the rest of the world. Your gender is a part of God's image in your life. And there is no man on the planet who can fully reflect God's image in creation and no woman on the planet who can fully reflect God's image in creation. He created us gendered so that we can reflect his very image of God to the world. There's a lot more we could say about the image of God, but one thing we can be certain is the binary male and female is a part of how God reveals himself and stamps his image on each of us. The third thing that's really important, and we're going to spend maybe a little more time on this, gender is a part of God's redemption. Gender is a part of God's redemption. The clearest way God models his love for his people is through the marriage relationship. All throughout Scripture, God wants to reveal himself and his saving desire and the relationship he has with his Old Testament people, the Israelites, and his New Testament church. The way he, he illustrates that relationship is through the maleness, the womanness, the husband, the wife, the marriage picture. That's why we read in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, when God creates Eve, he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This unifying idea. Heard recently about how, how God created man, humanity, and then he took woman out of man, and then he unites them back together in that marriage picture. And how that is a reflection of how you and I were created in union with God, but are taken out of that because of sin, and God desires to bring us back in perfect unity with one another. This one flesh idea is the reflection of how God is uniting with his people. If you don't believe me, Paul makes it very clear in the book of Ephesians. Look in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. It's an almost exact quote of what we just read. Paul, quoting Genesis 2, 24, says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Same verse, the same words, same quote. And what does Paul equate that to in verse 32? And this mystery is profound, this one flesh mystery. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. It's God's design to reveal redemption to us requires a male and a female. God wants to redeem us, and the way he pictures that so that we can understand the intimate relationship we're to have with him is by showing us marriage. It's amazing that we can look all around this room, all around this world. You can look at saved and lost people, those in Christ, those out of Christ, and you can see God's picture of redemption. 
because there's male and female united in marriage. It's a beautiful, amazing picture of God's redemption. Where the church often fails in this, where the church often often drops the ball, is that we forget God's desire to redeem and save applies to all people. And that includes what we're discussing here. God's desire to redeem and save all people includes those who identify as transgender individuals. God's desire is to show them the truth of Scripture, to love them, to let them see how He created and designed them, to teach them how to live a life that He created them to live in a healthy, biblical, God-honoring way. God's desire is to see them know salvation and fully embrace that salvation. What I'm afraid of is that the church, more often than not, categorizes sins so that some sins are more condemning than others. Where we as a church, we want to judge and and harp and yell and scream because of certain sins and the sin in our own heart and the sin in our own life gets ignored. Now, I want to be very clear. That does not mean stand less for the truth of Scripture. That does not mean back off a little bit on how we handle the truth of God creating male and female. If anything, shout it louder. But in doing so, God's desire is that we reflect on our own lives as well. All throughout Scripture, God does indeed show that there are different punishments for different sins. He does call certain sins an abomination. He does talk about, uh, in the books of of, uh, the Pentateuch, especially in in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, he talks about certain laws that, that require death and certain laws that require a fine. And there are degrees of punishment here on earth, but... But what it's also reminding us of is, is while there are different degrees of punishment on earth, every single sin, whether it be large or small, has the effect to separate us from God. And God's desire is to redeem that. Every single one of those sins. What our gender and our gender roles scream is that God desires to know you intimately. He desires to love you unconditionally for how he created you to be. His will for your life is that you would know him and know him fully. Regardless of what sin you struggle with, whether it's an addiction or whether it's with gender, whether it's with your language or whether it's with your lifestyle, God's desire is that you know who he is and who he created you to be. When we stand firmly and say gender is a part of God's redemption, It's a reminder to us that God wants to redeem every individual. So we need to be praying, Lord, reveal your truth. Let people see how you created them and how you love and care for them. Let people see that that you have a design and a purpose behind how you created us. And Lord, let us be truth-bearing, gospel-sharing Christians who point everyone to the redemption of Jesus Christ. This morning as we We ask the question, did God really say there are two genders? We see very boldly and confidently in Scripture, God indeed did create male and female with purpose, with design to reflect His image and to show His salvation and redemption to a world. And so this morning, can we spend time saying, God, help me to experience your redemption. Help me to experience your salvation and your love. Show me how you're calling to unite with me in one flesh.
Let's pray together. Father, you are so good. Lord, we thank you that you have created us with every detail, with, with every single portion of our lives documented in detail so that we can know you better. Lord, I thank you that you created some male and some female. And Lord, I thank you that we are able to see your glory and your image on each individual's life simply by the way you've created them to function as male and female. Father, we pray we would stand for that truth, but also, Lord, let us remember that that, that truth screams redemption. Lord, let us love unconditionally without bending the truth. Let us boldly proclaim that our gender screams of your salvation. Let us boldly share that you have a design and a purpose for each life with the hope and the prayer that you would bring all people, including myself, closer and closer to you. Father, we pray ultimately that we would put our faith and trust not in our emotions, not in how we feel, and not even in, in how we want to be identified. Lord, let us put our hope and trust in your son, Jesus Christ, who redeems us who brings us back to the Father and unites us in one flesh with you. Father, we thank you for your creation and we pray that you would allow us to scream your salvation through it. It's in your name we pray. Amen.